Hello one, hello all. Welcome to the Politics Mostly podcast. I am your host, Peter Ramirez. Now folks, it's called the Politics Mostly podcast, not the Politics Only podcast. So today's episode is going to be a, a little bit different. I want to get a little bit more personal in this episode. Um, you know, normally I talk politics, but I want to talk about writing about politics, something I really picked up about a year ago. Um, I wasn't quite where I wanted to be at the end of last year, and I, as I transitioned to the new year, I started evaluating where I was in life and what I could adjust. Um, I found myself struggling uh, to engage in politics the same way I was engaging in it prior to the election. You know, and I, and I guess part of that's normal. You know, uh, there's more political awareness right before an election, more interest, more intrigue. I actually wrote about my struggle to motivate, to write, to produce political content, a medium. Uh, ironically, it was one of my most read columns in months. <laughs> so uh, after a bruising election um, and the utter nonsense that happened at the Capitol, I focused my available time elsewhere. Less politics, more Peter. Um, I wanted to study motivation in a clinical sense. What was scientifically proven to help one get over the hurdle, silence the distractions, and produce efficiently at a high clip? So here are some steps that I took in my personal life to start off 2021 on the right foot. I'm only listing the stuff I did that actually worked too, by the way, because I did try a lot of things. Um, and why talk about strategies that didn't help me much, right? <laughs> so here are three things that really helped me. Okay, so number one was breaking shit up into small pieces. This was actually probably the most helpful thing I did. I listed all the things that I could improve upon in my life, and then I went one by one and decided how could I make this more manageable, smaller, right? Everything was like a bite-sized piece. And then second, the, the second part of that was I only did that one thing at a time. You know, um, I asked a personal trainer, a friend of mine one time, what's the biggest mistake people commit when, they're, when they start dieting? He said, look, if you're looking to diet, you're most likely overweight. And if you're overweight, it's most likely because you, one, eat bad food, and two, eat too much. The biggest mistake, he said, that people make when they diet is that they go from eating, you know, 5,000 calories of bad food to eating 2,000 calories of good food. You can change the type of food and the amount at the same time. Um, your body can't adjust. The cravings creep in, and you know by day three, you're scarfing cookies down your gullet. <laughs> so if you eat 5,000 calories of bad food a day, start dieting and eating 5,000 calories of good food a day. Keep the quantity high, and your body will adjust better by substituting quality food in high amounts. And then over time, and very slowly, you reduce your intake, which will be easier because the fiber and veggies and whatever you're eating will now keep you satisfied anyway. So that's the trick. Don't make, you know, life adjustments, all these life adjustments in one day. Do one in a small piece, and then build upon that success with smaller, more manageable solutions. So, you know, for me, my first problem was caffeine. Uh, totally relying on it to function, to write, to work, to work out. Uh, I cut my caffeine intake by like half, and then um, for the first few days I, I was really tired, I had headaches. Um, but the reason I was successful in reducing my caffeine was because it was the only change I made at the time, right? I just solely focused on that. And it was hard enough alone, so I didn't want to add anything else to it. 
So, you know, I still have a little bit around workouts as a, almost like a reward. Also, it lets me work out longer. Um, so after a week or so, I wanted to build on my small success, right, of reducing my caffeine. And this was good for two reasons. One, I had momentum coming off my caffeine triumph. <laughs> and two, I can attack the next goal with a full arsenal of energy and focus. You know, you don't want to be using half your energy to fight one goal of getting rid of caffeine and then trying to change another habit at the same time with only half your energy and focus. So my second goal for 2021 was to get more involved in my community. Uh, I started volunteering at the local soup kitchen on Fridays. Uh, I, I deliver food to a neighborhood in my city. And uh, it's been really good so far, a really enjoyable experience. So, you know, I did that after I got rid of caffeine. So now I'm on less caffeine, I'm volunteering. And um, now I wanted to accomplish my next goal, right? So my third goal was to improve my financial situation. Now, I don't make a ton of money. Uh, I live comfortably, but I did realize something. Uh, my living expenses um, could have been a lot lower. Uh, if I cleaned up some of my like subscriptions and you know too much takeout and you know the usual culprits for <laughs> why you never seem to have any money. But I, I also realized at the same time that my living expenses are very low. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have a car payment. Um, I don't have student loans. And so even though my salary isn't robust, my take-home pay could be very high, even after taxes. So I cut down on what living expenses I did have, right? Um, luckily, it was a little easier for me because I don't really like buy shoes or clothes that much. Um, and then with the extra money, I started investing more this, this year, um, because investing early, even in small amounts, reap huge long-term rewards, thanks to compounding interest. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know what my friends make, uh, salary wise, they probably make more than me. Um, maybe some don't. And, you know, it's kind of an odd feeling, you know, obviously part of you is happy for that, but also part of it, you know, you're always comparing yourself to other people, unfortunately. And so you want you want to be successful and your friends to be successful, but you also want to be like the most successful, right? Everybody wins, but you win the most. Um, so because my financial discipline is a lot higher um, and I reduce my living expenses, I've actually been able to invest the same amount of money per paycheck as uh, my friends invest, frankly. Um, so those were the three things I've tackled so far. I've reduced my caffeine. Um, I've, uh, been more active in my community. Um, I've been cleaning up my finances. Um, you know, the fourth one I'm probably going to do and the, and the fifth one, but not at the same time, remember, <laughs> is reading and losing weight. Um, my friend recently gave me a really good book that I've been reading every night before bed. Um, there's really no excuse why I don't read more considering how much I do enjoy it and that um, I do have some time at night, um, which uh, it really helps with. <clears throat> so, and then the fifth one is probably gonna be losing weight, but I'm not gonna try to do both at the same time. I wanna, the whole point of this thing is to break things into small pieces 
do them that are, you know, do it so it's manageable and then build upon that momentum you get from, from, you know, uh, successfully um, completing smaller tasks. So the number two thing I started doing too is I stopped comparing myself to others. Um, it's not helpful. I spent a lot less time on social media recently. I, you know, I know I'm guilty of this. I know most people are guilty of this. Uh, you know, I was just talking about, for example, my friends who probably make more money than I do. Um, how, you know, that comparison is. Um, but, you know, it's it's just, it's not helpful. I was doing a lot of research into, like, the psychological impacts of, of comparing yourself. And in very small situations, it can be helpful. Um, you know, it, it, it motivated me to do well in college, comparing myself to to others, you know, some parts of competition are good, but you know, if 90% of it isn't good, it's it on the whole, it's not worth it. So, you know, I cut back on social media. I'm, you know, actively retraining my mind to not compare myself immediately to other people. Um, and the, uh, third thing is, and this is something I really believe in. Um, the answers are within you. The answers are within you. Now everyone has different problems relationship problems, career problems, happiness problems, physical, mental health, anything. You know why you're not happy. Uh, you know it intuitively. You just need to think about it. If you're in therapy, how often has your therapist said something that was so insightful you said, wow, I literally never thought about it that way? <laughs> I mean, probably once every like five or six sessions now. They tell you uncomfortable truths and things you don't want to hear, but things that you know are true deep down. So, you know, pause and reflect. Why am I not happy right now? Why am I not where I want to be in life right now? Why didn't I get that promotion? Why do I feel like I'm wasting my life? You know, whatever, whatever struggle you're dealing with and just think about it, because if you think about it, even though you'll probably end up coming to you know, a tough conclusion, like I need to quit this habit, I need to get rid of this person in my life, I need to focus more on this, you know, the odds are you know the answers within you. So those are the three things that I did that worked, that I looked up, you know, the research behind, um, that really just have a, a proven track record of helping people motivate and to accomplish their goals. One thing is to break things up into smaller, more manageable pieces, and then only focus on one thing at a time. Uh, two, stop comparing yourself to others. And three, uh, realizing that you have the answers within you. Okay, so for my second and last part of the podcast today, I just wanted to talk about the act of writing itself. I recently had someone reach out to me and tell me that they really enjoyed my writing. Um, they thought, you know, even though they're not really political, that they find um, the points I make interesting. And it was really like a, a lovely comment, frankly. Um, so I want to talk about tips on how to write. Um, you know, technically this is going to be political writing, but frankly, even if you're not interested in political writing, as I'm sure most of you aren't, you know, these are some things that would translate nicely to journal writing, to writing fiction, to writing in general. You know, writing is such a rewarding um, habit, something I, I truly love and it means so much to me. Um, and so I'm going to give you like 10 to 15 points here on how to write 
better how to write smarter um, how to write um, for an audience you know things that not not things that I intuitively knew all along but things that I picked up through writing that I wish I could tell myself um, as I started and so if you haven't started yet this is a perfect opportunity um, to, to you know to pick up on my mistakes I made along the way so you can really get a head start on writing if you'd like and this isn't on my list that I'm reading from here but the one thing I did see um, a lot when I was like researching writing before I started was most great writers will write at the same time every day which is so weird right normally when we think of authors and artists and and these these creative people we think oh they they have a spur of genius and 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 creative overdrive and they they go and they write for hours and hours and hours and a day passes and they haven't gotten up and they haven't slept and they haven't eaten you know but really writing is habitual it's habitual you know people the fa famous writers of fiction and nonfiction will designate a certain time period every day and they'll write they'll write and sometimes they'll write a page and sometimes they'll write a hundred pages and you know how much and when that time, you know, when that time of the day is will depend on your schedule and what you can, uh, what you can do. But, you know, I, I was reading about all these famous authors, you know, authors, Stephen King, for example. He writes at the same morning time slot every single day for the whole year. And the only day he takes off is Christmas Day. And it really helps you stay committed. It helps you long term with your creativity. Um, and, you know, they authors will tell you all the time, too, that. You know, if their time frame is 7 to 11 a.m., even if they're really working it at 11 a.m., a lot of them will stop anyway. You know, even if they're in the middle of, of something interesting, it's it's just a trained habit. Um, so that's something I, I thought was interesting. So writing at the same time every day would definitely be one of them. Another one is you want to know what the soup of the day is, the soup of the day. What do people want to read about? You know, early in the coronavirus pandemic, I noticed that the articles I wrote about that incorporated the virus saw huge viewership numbers. So you want to know what's in vogue. You want to understand the zeitgeist, you know. And the thing is, you know, I wasn't going to sit there and write, here's everything we know about the coronavirus, you know, as someone who writes predominantly about um, culture and politics. But you can include political or cultural arguments or topics with the coronavirus as a theme, right? Um so you want to be aware of what people want to read, but you also don't want to sell out either, <laughs> right? Um, you know, even if you want to write about something that is a niche audience, as long as you do it well, even if it's not at the forefront of what people are talking about right now, you'll still find um, uh, an audience for it. So so always write what you want to write, but you, always, you also want to know what the audience is kind of in the mood for, right? The, the third piece of advice I would give you is to avoid arriving at the same conclusions uh, with different articles, right? So, you know, I was guilty of this early on in my writing career. Oh, career, that's a strong word. Um, I would say, oh, look, Republicans did this during the Obama years, and now they're doing this during the Trump era. What hypocrites, right? Um, if you follow politics closely enough, you tend to become partisan, and you want to avoid ending each article with Republicans are good, Republicans are bad, Democrats are good, Democrats are bad. Instead, you want to try to offer a unique insight. Um, you want to offer 
what's really going on behind the scenes, talk about power, and not, you know, if someone, which side is good, which side is hypocritical. But there is a confession I have to make with this piece of advice. Um, there are, you know, uh, the big names, at least on Medium, they tend to write essentially what I just said not to do, which is, you know, every article was Trump is corrupt, Trump is a racist, Democrats are bad. You know, it was, oh, you know, you knew which side of the aisle they were on. And essentially every, their daily article was just whatever happened to be in the news that day, fitting into a broader, like, you know, seven types of articles they like wrote. And it was just like recycled, recycled, recycled. And there, you know, I'm sure there is some scientific evidence that people kind of want to read um, stuff that reinforces their beliefs. And, you know, if you can just kind of change enough in an article so people don't realize they're reading the same article over and over again, that would probably be good in terms of strictly an audience um, viewership, you know, and strictly in terms of popularity. But I choose not to do that because ultimately writing is interesting to me and, and that's not particularly interesting to me. <laughs> the, um, the fourth piece of advice I would give you is my golden rule personally, and that is to remember that reading your work is always voluntary. Someone else reading your work is always voluntary. No one's forcing anyone to read your thoughts. So you have to be interesting or people won't read, right? Um, on Medium, where I do most of my writing, um, there is a feature where you can see the, perce the percentage of people who read your articles who finish it to the end. And sometimes that finish rate is really low. And that's when I like to go back and reread what I wrote. And then I notice, you know, 80% of the time, it's just really boring you know at some point even if the initial idea was interesting it just became it became uninteresting and people probably lost interest you know naturally the other 20 percent of the time their loss it was a good article <laughs> so it's a good rule of thumb to follow here if, if you're voluntarily writing something interesting and at some point it feels more like you're writing a homework assignment then something went wrong uh along the way the, the fifth thing I can also say is uh, you want to avoid rabbit holes. Um, you know, my favorite anecdote in history is the story of Diogenes of Sinope meeting a young Alexander the Great. It's fascinating, it's insightful, and it explores two of history's most colorful characters who, through sheer serendipity, managed to cross paths at the exact same time and location. Uh, I won't spoil the story for you, but if you are interested, I have written about it. You can check it out. Um, I was thinking about this encounter, and I was started to wonder, what were other famous encounters in history? What other historical figures lived at the same time in the same location and crossed paths? You know, then I started thinking about how popular this meeting between these two figures were. It used to be taught in the Renaissance. It was reenacted in, um, in art. Scholars debated about it. Thinkers debated about it. Historians debated what did or didn't happen. And then at some point in like the 19th century, this story stopped being taught. And very few people today even know what happened. So now I'm thinking about, well, why do some ideas or teachings lose favor over time? Why do some things that weren't um, famous at the time become more historically significant later on? 
And so, you know, I sat down with the, just the thought of writing about this one famous encounter, what happened, why it's interesting. And then I started thinking about other encounters. And I started thinking about, well, why do some ideas fade or, or gain strength over time? And these were all rabbit holes. These were all rabbit holes. Yeah, they're interesting. They're interesting thought experiments. Maybe they're even good articles down the road. But at the same time, I'm sitting on day two, day three, day four, and I'm not writing the initial article. Okay, so I have three more tips for writing. I mean, this is for tips for political writing, but, you know, uh, most of these can be applied to pretty much any genre, any form of writing for any audience, frankly. Um, one is a lesson I learned from my first job as a writer. Um, I wrote for an online news publication, and I remember my first <laughs> my first article. I shared it in like you know Google Docs or whatever, and a team of editors tore it apart pretty quickly. And it was a very good experience for me. Um, you learn to have thick skin through <laughs> you know this baptism of fire. But the lesson I learned. Um, I had, my main editor was this German guy, very nice. He told me something one time that I, I'll never forget and I'll share with you now. He said, be first or be different. Be first or be different. That's the key to political writing. You know, you, you want to be first on a story, you know, breaking news or something like that. You know, odds are if you're if you're like me, you're not breaking any news, you know. You don't have any sources or anything like this. So because you can't be first, you want to be different. You don't want to write something just stating the facts a day or two after it happened because of the, the news climate we live in. People will have already read that. What you want to do is you want to offer a unique take on it, something that really hasn't been uh, said yet. So be first or be different. That was something I'll always remember from my editor at my first writing job when he, when he told me that. Um, the second thing of the last three is, uh, I call this the George Will list. Uh, famous columnist for the Washington Post. He's, uh, he's right of center, but someone I do like to read. And one of his quirks involves carrying around an index card at all times to jot down ideas for articles as he comes up with them. This is very smart, so smart in fact, that I've been doing it before I even knew he did it. <laughs> Although I do mine with a 21st century twist, I, um, I have a folder on my phone that I will take out and write down notes on, on what to write about. And this is really crucial for two reasons. First, as a writer, your mind often wanders. Uh, when it does, inspiration can come to you when you least expect it, right? Especially when you're performing a mundane task like driving, cleaning, whatever. Article ideas will come to me. And we often tell ourselves that we can make a mental note of an idea and come back to it and explore it later. But I'm telling you, a majority of the time you forget. You always forget. And then what's annoying is you remember that you had an idea, <laughs> but then you forget what the idea was. So it's even more annoying. And second, there are days when nothing jumps out to you as a political writer or any writer. Um, when you're reading the news or scrolling through social media. And on days like this, I go back to that folder on my phone and examine article ideas I've written down days or weeks or months or years ago. And then it's writing time. So definitely have a list ready. I use my phone. If you want to write pen to paper, you can do that also. 
Um, but anytime I, I have an idea of an article I want to write, even if it's just a word or a sentence, something I, that I can come back to, this way I never forget um, these ideas that when they come to me. And secondly, when I'm, when I'm sitting down to write and I don't have any ideas that really speak to me, I can always go into my phone and look at things that I've thought about writing about in the past and almost always I'll find something that wasn't time sensitive that I can really look into. And the last thing I'll say is, do you have what it takes? Um, you know, I had an epiphany with writing. I studied political science in college and I was, you know, I did a lot of research um, in my undergrad life. And it, it, it became clear to me after reading the newspaper um, that I very rarely read an op-ed column where I thought I couldn't have done that if I had time, right? Um, or, yeah, that's, that's, I've always looked at that situation that way. You know, this is actually just this problem manifested in a different way. Or this is only happening because... B, C, and D are happening simultaneously. Or, you know, this is really something crazy. It wouldn't have happened five years ago, and here's why, right? Like, I've always thought that way. And so if you're reading articles, or, you know, frankly, if you're reading fiction, and you thought, oh, I could have written that story. I saw that plot twist coming. Um, then you will. you have what it takes. You have what it takes. Now, here's the only thing... Um, that is different. I had a high school English teacher. He used to call certain quotes left-handers. <laughs> and we were always like, what, what do you mean left-handers? And he used to say, I would cut off my left hand to write a sentence like that. And it was usually like Shakespeare or something, you know. And so even before I wrote, I knew, okay, I have these ideas. I look at the world analytically. Um, you know, very rarely will I read an op-ed or an opinion piece about something or, an, you know, a news article and, and be completely caught off guard. But at the same time, these writers are very skilled. The way they set things up, the way they describe things, you know, these are all left-handers. Um, there are a lot of individual writers I won't go into, political writers that will, are usually good for a few left-handers, every article, where they, they just, the sentence structure, the word choice, uh, you know, the, the way they they just perfectly construct a sentence. Um, you know, I can write and rewrite a sentence a million times, and I could just never say it as perfectly as they say it. So, you know, that part of the writing will develop with time. Um, but as long as you have that mindset where if you read a fiction book, if you read a newspaper article, and you think to yourself, I, I could have written that. Like, that's that's not, you know, they don't have some kind of Gnostic, you know, knowledge that I don't have access to. Then you, you really have what it takes to write. You just need to sit down and work on it. All right, so uh, there it is. I was going to give you guys a few more, but I, I the podcast is running a little long, and I also... Um, prioritized the the advice on writing uh, the stuff that I would recommend the most. So those are you know what six, eight, ten, whatever it was. Those are the one. Those are the pieces of advice I would recommend the most. Things I wish I'd knew, uh, wish I'd known earlier before I started writing, 
And, you know, whether you want to just journal write or, or write, you know, 10 minutes a day or, or write or blog or write fiction or whatever you or write plays, whatever you want to do, uh, those are just some things to keep in mind. So uh, thank you guys. Um, I really appreciate it. Sorry for a little bit of the, the hiatus, um, and I'll definitely be back not as long as <laughs> with a, a shorter absence than last time. So have a good day. Thanks, everyone.